we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. We've seen in the book of Acts that Jesus changes lives. We've seen in the video this morning, a field in the country of Uruguay, that Jesus changes lives. And Jesus changed the life of a young teenager. He wasn't familiar with going to church. He didn't know much about the Lord, but he ran into a youth leader from a Baptist church who shared the gospel with him, and that young man repented of his sins, placed his faith in Christ, and his life was radically transformed. And so the youth leader began to talk to him about, you want to start talking to people about Jesus. He said, I don't know how. So he took him through a class where he learned how to share his faith. As soon as the class was over, the boy ran out of the class into the parking lot to find somebody that could talk to about Jesus. And he walks up to an older gentleman and he says, sir, do you know Jesus? He's changed my life. And the man said, well, I want you to know that I'm a deacon. And the young boy, not knowing much about church, says, that's all right, sir. My youth leader says you can be forgiven for anything. <laughs> Some deacons don't deek. But there are others that we were introduced to last week in the first part of Acts chapter 6 that did deke and have been serving faithfully their congregations like the men that we have here at City View. We're very grateful for them. But we're going to see one particular guy, prototype of the first deacon. His name was Stephen. That Jesus had changed his life. Those first Six chapters have been story after story of the amazing things that Christ has done in his church. Stephen had come to a point where he was full of faith, the text is going to tell us. And he was one that saw that even though he was called to serve and wait on tables to take care of widows, that wasn't all there was to being a Christian. He knew that he needed to be a part of sharing his faith so the world could have their lives changed. And here in these verses, and as Pastor Mike will take us through chapter 7, we see one of the longest sections, one of the longest sermons in the entire book of Acts. This man was significant, Stephen, a servant of God, who understood the clear implications of the gospel, that they call for a transformed life, and it calls for radical courage. In Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, we're going to see that three results came from these people who had had their lives changed. And today, today, dear one, Jesus still changes lives. And those of us who are believers in Jesus will get to see those same three results. Will you stand with me as we read this text? God's word says, Acts 6, 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, that was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. 
And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Will you bow with me in prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, which sent your perfect Son, Jesus, to this earth at Christmas time. We celebrate the fact that Jesus, through what he did for us in his death and resurrection, that Jesus changes lives like Theo, like Stephen, like some of us today, Lord, that are broken. We need you to do a work in us. Some of us are struggling with hurts. We think of Pete and Denise Ristow and the loss of his dad this week. We pray, God, that you will comfort. Father, we pray as well that we will learn today from your word about how, if we know Jesus, we should be telling others about him. We should be ministering to a hurting world. Lord, we pray for our missionaries today that are in harm's way in the Philippines, Malaysia, in Indonesia, where the earthquake hit yesterday and the tsunami is in danger of striking where our missionaries, even some from Indianapolis, are there serving, sharing the gospel. We pray you will protect them. Pray, God, that you will empower them to share in tough times. We pray, oh God, that this Prince of Peace you sent at Christmas time will help bring peace to Israel, to Ukraine, to the Congo, where our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted this very day. Speak through your word, Lord, today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First thing that we learn from this text is that Jesus' believers can be effective witnesses. In verses 8 through 10, we see G Stephen, who had been this Greek-speaking Jewish believer, introduced to us in the first part of the chapter, who was concerned with the needs of widows. He was also concerned with the ministry of the word. He now is concerned with witnessing about his faith. So he goes into the synagogue of the freedmen. They were fellow Greek-speaking Jews. The synagogue of the freedmen was for people who had once been slaves. They'd been taken by uh, Emperor Pompey, who had spread them out all over the Middle Eastern world, and uh, there they had lived in isolation. But after they were released, they were able as freemen to come back to Jerusalem. And they believed that it was in Jerusalem that was the only place that you could be in the presence of God in his temple. They were very proud of that. And so they came, Cyrenian Jews from Cyrene in North Africa, Alexandrian Jews from Alexandria in Egypt, Cilician Jews. This was the southeast corner of Asia Minor, what we know as Turkey today, known for a prominent city of Tarsus, and also from Asia, here referring to the southwest part of Asia, Ephesus. Interesting as we look at this, that Jews from this Cilician, this area of Tarsus, that's where we know the Apostle Paul was from. And the Apostle Paul himself may have attended this very synagogue. Later, in Acts chapter 9, Pastor Mike's going to tell us about how he comes back to Jerusalem, to this very synagogue, and he debates with people that did not want to believe in Christ. 
But here, it's Stephen that's sharing his faith, and people are disputing with him about what he taught about Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus had said that Jerusalem isn't going to be the only place that you're going to worship the Father. This Jesus who died on a cross and rose again and calls for people to repent of their religion of rules and regulations and turn to Jesus in faith. These people in the Freedmen Synagogue opposed him. They did not like what, G, what he was saying. But notice the courage of Stephen, that he went to the synagogue. He did not wait for people to come to him. He went there and he shared the good news of the gospel and he did not try to water it down to be cool. Stephen was somebody who needed Jesus. He wasn't sinless. And so we know him as someone who needed a savior. And this savior had so radically changed his life that he is an exemplary Christian that we see in this text. He was not a pastor. He was not an apostle. He wasn't even officially a deacon. But at this point in his life, one ordinary guy was used to do some amazing things. The text says in verse 3 of chapter 6 that he was of good repute. He had a good testimony. He was respected. He was full of grace, verse 8 says. Grace, charis, that has to do with God reaching out to us who did not deserve his favor, but he reached out to us with offering us salvation through Jesus. But charis also refers to after you're a believer about being gracious, demonstrating Christ to other people. And it's interesting that here in the chapter 6, some 30,000 believers are now in Jerusalem. And who's the first guy in the list that they pick to be a servant of people in need? It's Stephen. They saw something gracious in his heart for widows. The grace of Jesus not only saves us, the grace of Jesus changes us forever. He was full of faith, saving faith. He trusted in Christ. He repented of his sins, but it also talks us about a special kind of faith, that Stephen was a man of courage, a man who was willing to stand up and speak out for his faith no matter what it cost. And he was full of the Holy Spirit, the text says, verse 5. We know that we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives when we are saved, when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ. But it is possible for a believer not to let that Holy Spirit that is within you to control you, to influence you in your life. And Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled is a command. It's a plural command. Every believer is to be under the influence, under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's a passive command in the sense that you and I don't work ourselves up into an emotional frenzy to be filled with the Spirit. You and I let God's Spirit do His work that He wants to in our lives. It is a present tense verb. Be filled means continually. A Christian's supposed to submit to the will of God. How can you be filled with the Spirit? 
three simple ways. I think the Bible talks a lot about repentance is not just for unbelievers. Repentance is for we who are believers. That if we allow sin in our lives, it can become like clogged pipes, frozen pipes. Anybody had frozen pipes in your house? Oh, a couple years ago, Christy and I, we, our water softener is out in the garage, and it got so cold and indie that it froze the line. And because that one little line was frozen, we had water in the, nowhere in the rest of the house. And sometimes for the believer, if we are practicing sin, we are out of fellowship with God, it can clog our pipes to where God's spirit can't do everything he wants to do in our lives. We need to yield to the spirit to say, Lord, in my mind, I want to give that to you today. Lord, in my emotions, I want to give that to you today. Lord, I want to yield to you all that I am to have your way. And then by faith in him, we want to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5 says that we don't run ahead of the Spirit. We don't drag our heels behind the Spirit. But when God's Spirit speaks to us, we obey his spirit is given to us, to every one of us, so that we can be fruitful Christians. It's given to every one of us so that we can be effective witnesses for Christ. Because he was full of the spirit, Stephen was also full of wisdom. Wisdom, my small group's been studying on Wednesday nights. Wisdom is not just a set of principles. Wisdom is a person. Jesus is infinitely Wise, and when you have him in your heart, he can give you insight. His spirit resides in us to help us understand God's word and to know how God's word applies to different situations in life. For us to be wise as believers, we have to be spending time in the word. We need to be learning how to apply those scriptures to the issues of our day. Stephen was like one of our contemporary apologists, Lee Strobel former lawyer, former journalist, or maybe like Jay Warner Wallace, former detective who had their life dynamically transformed by Jesus. And because of that, they have a gift for being able to share wisely with unbelievers how to know Christ. How was it that Stephen was so wise? It was because he trusted in the promises of God. Jesus said in Luke 21, Verse 12 and following. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will even put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. We are safely with Jesus. That last phrase doesn't say that we aren't going to risk sometimes being harmed as believers. But there is nothing that can ever harm us spiritually. We are safe in Jesus' hands. And this is where Stephen went to find his wisdom. Verse 8 says that he was full of power. The Greek word dunamis from which we get dynamite. That this dynamite, this power, incredible power resided in Stephen. He 
didn't use his graciousness to be a wimp at this moment. God's power helped him to stand up tall with courage and share the truths of the gospel. We need power. Years ago, the way the Kirby Company would sell vacuum cleaners was not at the store. They came to your house, a door-to-door salesman. And there was a particularly aggressive Kirby salesman that went out to a rural area, and he decided that he was going to sell his vacuum cleaner no matter what. A woman, he knocked on the door. A woman answered the door, and he said, I got a vacuum I want to tell you about. And he says, I, she says, I don't want to eat you. I don't want one. And he kept knocking and stuck his foot in the door, and he says, come on, lady, let me just show you my vacuum cleaner. I can see on your floors there's dirt. I promise you that if my vacuum cleaner doesn't suck up everything, every bit of dirt on your floors, I'll take a spoon and I'll eat all that dust. I said, okay, if you want to. He comes on in. He starts undoing his box of vacuum cleaner, getting ready to try and plug it in somewhere. And she leaves to head for the kitchen. He goes, where are you going? I'm going to show you the vacuum cleaner. He says, I'm going to get a spoon. And she, he, he says, why are you going to go and get a spoon? And he says, she says, there ain't no electricity in this house. No power. No power. No ability to function. God's word says in Acts 1.8, but the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Every believer can have power to share their faith because of the power the text says in verse 8 that he was able to, God was able to do through him great wonders and signs, miracles that God was able to do through this guy who was not an apostle, just an ordinary guy. And God did that as evidence of his power. God did that so he would be glorified. God did that through Stephen to authenticate the message of the gospel. Stephen was one. Who knew that God wanted him to be a witness? And he leaned on God's power, and God did amazing things. But those at the synagogue of the freedmen didn't like listening to Stephen. They disputed with him, but they couldn't refute what this ordinary guy had to say because of his graciousness, because of God's power at work in him. What he had to say was absolutely irresistible. So what gave Stephen so much confidence Text doesn't say that he was a Bible college graduate. Text doesn't say that he was a seminary graduate. The text doesn't even say he got to go to an evangelism training class. But the text helps us know that he believed in the word of God for when he preaches in Acts chapter 7. It's saturated with scripture. He believed in the word and what Jesus said in the word in Luke chapter 21 that he would be with him. That he would be Faithful to give him the wisdom, to give him the power that he needed. Stephen, simple guy, had a simple faith that believed in an extraordinary God who could change lives. We need to have those kind of qualities that Stephen had. Billy Graham was in India years ago for a crusade. And after one of the meetings, people said, we want you to come and meet this man. This man is interested in becoming a Christian. So Billy said, I'd be glad to come and meet with him. And so he shared the gospel, and the man said to Billy, I'd be glad to become a Christian if I ever meet one. Billy said, the really awkward thing was he was staring right at me. 
Sometimes people don't see the qualities of an effective witness in this, but people saw it in Stephen. He was somebody who had been radically changed. C.T. Studd says, whatever moves the heart wags the tongue. Jesus had moved Stephen's heart, so he could not stop talking about Jesus. And Jesus wants us to be like that. But we can't give people directions when they're lost unless we know Jesus. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ? He wants to do an amazing work in you. If you don't, never made that decision, you want more information about how to, uh, I'll be out at the uh, information table after the service. Love to talk with you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are you living this kind of exemplary Christian life that we see in Stephen? Are you full of faith? Are you full of the Spirit? Are you full of His power in your life? Are you wise in the Scriptures? Because you're spending time in the Scriptures every day to learn more about Jesus and more how you can share its truth with others. Are you gracious in how you deal with unbelievers online, out there in the Christmas rush in businesses? Do others see Jesus in you? We are to be witnesses, witnesses like Stephen, remembering who God is, that he's at work all around us, remembering who God is, that his love demonstrated through Christ in our life is not to make us comfortable, but it will be to push us out into the synagogues, into the places where people that don't know Jesus are. Jesus is not so concerned about your comfort. He's concerned about your obedience. Stephen was someone who was willing to go into the deep water. He didn't stay where it was safe with all the other Christians. He went where people needed to know. We all have opportunities to share our faith. There are many ways that you can do it. When I was a Baptist collegiate minister at the University of Minnesota, one of my students from Poland was named Animus Shiner. He had come to know Christ. Jesus had changed his life, and he was studying to be a doctor. And as we talked about sharing our faith, Amos learned that he could initiate conversations with people by just asking somebody else there in the med school, what's the most important thing in life to you? And they would wax on eloquently about that, and then they'd turn and go, hey, Amos, what's the most important thing in your life? And Amos would tell him about his Jesus that can change your life. Becky Pippard has written some wonderful Christian books Christian woman who Jesus had changed her life. She wrote Out of the Salt Shaker. She's written Still Salt. In all of her books, she shares her stories, real life stories. One was when she went to get her nails done at the local salon. And the lady that was going to do her nails was named Heather. And she was having to wait her turn to see Heather. So she picks up a magazine. She looks through it. And there is a story of a Hollywood actress that's come to faith in Christ. She goes, Wow. Hey, Heather, did you know that so-and-so has become a Christian? Uh, no, I would have never expected that. Uh, what is a Christian anyway? Boom! Becky had an opportunity at the nail salon to share the gospel so somebody's life could be changed. 
She took advantage of every opportunity to have coffee with a neighbor or friend that didn't know Jesus to initiate this time of year when people are spiritually open questions like, hey, Sue, what is the best Christmas present you've ever received? And they'd talk about that and then say, Becky, how about you? And she'd get to introduce them to Jesus. It's that simple. Or you may be like Pastor Mike, who did the beautiful service yesterday for David Sheets and uh, to minister to his family. And Pastor Mike shared the gospel by saying, have you heard about the best news in the world? All of us want to hear best news. Boy, we hear so much bad news on the Internet and on TV right now, right? You want to hear some really great news. But he says, before I can tell you the best news, let me tell you the bad news. The bad news that we are all sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's even worse news. And that worse news is that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Nothing. We'll be forever separated from God. But there is some good news. He said yesterday that God loved us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross and rise again to defeat sin and death once and for all. But that's not the best news. For see, each of us needs to have a time in our life where we repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ. And when we do, Jesus changes everything. It's that simple of just asking questions, having dialogues with your friends. And if you need help with some other City View people learning to share your faith, Pastor Mike would love to spend some time with you. You can invite somebody to our Christmas Eve service on December 24th, 1030. We'll be here. Lots of people are open to coming at this time of year. And I'm sure that Pastor Mike will share the gospel so they can hear it. And there are opportunities to go with people. In the 2024, our missions evangelism team will be working with others to lead you to have multiple opportunities to engage people in our community to share your faith. And on August 3 through 10, we're going to have a church mission trip. Going to join Pastor Mike's church, and we're all going to go to Montana, beautiful Montana. Haven't y'all wanted to go there and spend a week and see the beautiful mountains and all that kind of stuff? And there are people there that need Jesus. And we as a church are not going to keep the gospel to ourselves here in Avon. We're going to take it to people elsewhere who need it. When, G when Jesus' believers are effective witnesses, we must also remember the second truth of this text, that his believers experience false accusations, verses 11 through 14. Stephen was loved by his church. Later in the book of Acts, Mike will bring out to us that when he died for his faith, many grieved over this dear man. But these opponents in the Freedmen's Synagogue, they were antagonistic to him. And so they put him through three rounds of false accusations. Round one, these freemen argued with him. They disputed with him, but they could not overcome him. It's so interesting, we talked to you about Paul. This was perhaps his synagogue later. Many Bible commentators believe this was his synagogue now, in that moment, that he was one of the guys in that synagogue. He was debating with Stephen. He was amazed by this guy's wisdom. 
Paul had the best Jewish education you could, but there was something about this guy's wisdom and his grace that Paul, the ringleader, could not overcome. Oh, and it's later in Acts chapter 9, we'll see that because he'd seen Stephen, God had gotten his attention. And then he experienced Jesus, and Jesus changed everything for Paul. Round two. As the text continues, they couldn't get anywhere with Stephen. So they began to stir up some people that would say false things about him. Peter, excuse me, Stephen just kept on talking. And so they paid off some people, perhaps, gave them the words to say, to falsely accuse, saying, we've heard that Stephen who keeps talking and talking, that he's blasphemed against Moses and against God. Notice, for these Jewish patriarchs, who was first in their life? Moses. Moses is equal to or maybe even greater than God himself. Their Jewish heritage that they were proud of, their religious system. And they accused him of speaking evil things. And the penalty for that was stoning These were scandalous charges that spread all over town. And so they were used to stir up people, the elders, the scribes. All of them came upon him. And this is the first time in the book of Acts that we see Christians experiencing violence. Up till now, it had just been kind of verbal threats. But now they came, they dragged him away, they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They were incensed that somebody would dare to say that you didn't need to be a Jew to know God, that you didn't need to be in the temple like they were in the temple to be able to worship God. So round three, good old Stephen has to stand before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, ecclesiastically, in Jewish religion. And here again, they set up false witnesses against him that that he had never ceased to speak. Notice his courage that he continued to stand tall, to stand calm in this time. They said the charges now were against this holy place, the temple, and the law. There again, Moses was affiliated with the law, that they were against Moses, they were against their Jewish heritage, and they were against Stephen. So they continue saying that not only is this what he's been doing, but he's been talking about this guy, Jesus. This guy that said he would destroy the temple. This guy that said he would change the customs handed down from Moses. Jesus did not say that. Jesus was not against the temple. He simply said that in the illustration he used, that his body, the temple, would be destroyed and in three days would rise again. And that there would be a day where the temple of God would be in the hearts of people. Jesus did come challenging them, though, about the law. That it wasn't rules and regulations that would save a person, but Jesus did not downplay the law. He came to fulfill the law. But they twisted lies, all kinds of lies about Stephen and about Jesus. And the things that Stephen goes through are very similar to what Jesus went through in his trials. In fact, they're putting Jesus on trial again. But in reality, folks, in reality, it was the Sanhedrin who were on trial now. What were you going to do about Jesus? And Stephen's response in all this was that calm confidence 
even when he was all alone. We should not be believers that intentionally stir up conflict. I had a friend growing up in Washington State. His name was Stephen. And when he went to work, he would pick a fight as soon as he could to get in a debate about religion. That is not what we're called to do. But we must anticipate that just in being a Christian and then in naturally sharing our faith, we will experience opposition. 17 years ago this month, here in Indianapolis, Indiana, the Colts played where? They didn't play in Lucas Oil Stadium. They played in the RCA Dome. And they were playing on December 31st against the Miami Dolphins under Nick Saban, who was coached then. And so this pastor chose to come to Indianapolis to see this ball game coming from out of town. And he's walking across the parking lot. And there in the parking lot, he sees all this cult paraphernalia. And then there's one guy that's walking across the parking lot in his Miami Dolphins jersey, in his Miami Dolphins hand. And Colts fans begin to yell at him. They say, go home. They begin to cuss at him and uh, want him out of their place. He was a guy that was in the wrong place, wearing the wrong jersey. New Testament teaches us that we as believers in Jesus Christ, this place on earth is not our home. That we are here in the midst of people who do not believe in Jesus and we're wearing the Jesus jersey. And there will be people who get upset John Wesley said people weren't getting upset with him in his ministry. He was doing something wrong. He figured he was out of the center of God's will. There will be people that get upset. There's all kinds of ways that we'll experience opposition now in the workplace. There's laws that are being trying to pass about how if you speak the wrong way about abortion, it's guilty of workplace harassment. You speak the wrong words about misgendering you're guilty of workplace harassment. And in the home where so many believers are wanting to foster kids and take care of him, the federal government's wanting to push this thing that we've got to be affirming of LGBTQ to have kids in our homes. We've got to be careful, folks. We live in difficult days where we are surrounded with those around us who will criticize us because we're wearing the Jesus jersey. And Jesus never said it was going to be easy following him. We must be prepared to face opposition. Because you represent Jesus, there will be people who give false accusations against you. Because Jesus, in his life and ministry, convicted people of sins, there will be somebody that resents your stand for Jesus. You remind them of a Savior that says there's such a thing as sin. And you shouldn't go there. Be aware that when people reject you, they're really rejecting Jesus. That your worth as a believer is not based on what people think you are. They're in the tailgating party that everybody's ranting and, and praising your name. What's important, dear one, in this world of opposition where we live is who Jesus thinks that you are. Are you proudly wearing the jersey? doesn't always mean that you're going to be stoned like Stephen does, but it does mean that we need to be courageous and follow Jesus no matter what the cost. And when we do, Jesus has promised us in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even 
to the end of the age. As Stephen trusted, we're safely in his hands. Dear one, you will experience opposition in sharing your faith. But in addition, verse 15 tells us his believers will reflect his glory. It says, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Oh, there was something that caught them by surprise as they sat staring at this guy that they saw was guilty. They did not see fear in Stephen's eyes. They did not see anger. They saw calmness and a confidence in Jesus. And his face glowed like an angel. We remember somebody else in the Old Testament whose faces glowed from being in God's presence. That was Moses. That when he went up on Mount Sinai, he came down with the Ten Commandments, his face glowed. And here, by implication, we see that this Stephen is just like Moses. Instead of blaspheming Moses and the law, he is just like Moses, a faithful servant who's telling people that there is a new covenant brought in Jesus. A new covenant not made of rules and regulations, but that leads to relationship. And Stephen's face was like Moses' face. It glowed. Many writers believe the reason that his face glowed like an angel was because he had such an intimate personal relationship with God. He walked with God. He talked with God, spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word to where people could see that he was wearing the jersey all the time. He was faithful no matter what. Dear one, if God's not out of control. If you're going through some difficult situations today, in your family, in your workplace, he's not out of control. If you have to go through difficult situations and do that with courage, in fact, he is glorified. You make him look better when you're faithful. And it is to our great honor that we have the privilege to wear the jersey and glorify him in our difficult times. Stephen's story shows us that when we share our faith, it's always worth it to honor the Lord. When you're close to death, what you focus on and what you talk about reveals a lot about you. The French philosopher and writer Voltaire in the 1700s, near his death, he said, curse Jesus. I bet that 20 years after my death, he will never be heard of, and there will be an end to all of Christianity. Well, folks, it's been a lot longer than 20 years. Jesus is still changing lives, amen? And Voltaire's last words, what he was focused on in his last days, he cried out in desperation. He says, I'm abandoned by God. I'm going to head to hell. That's all I've got to look forward to. Wow. Compare that to John Wesley. As it was apparent to him that he was going to be dying. He says, the best of all, God's still going to be with us. The best of all, God's with us. He was excited to meet his Savior, as was Adoniram Judson, the great Baptist missionary to Burma, who says, I see death coming but I do not dread it. I run towards it with gladness in my heart. I feel so strong in love with my Lord. This Jesus 
that changes lives, can give us the courage to glorify him in times of suffering. Stephen's face shone like an angel. And he's going to go on to share one of the most important sermons in the Bible. In a difficult situation, he was not a believer who whined. He was a believer who chose to shine. Jesus, shine. Just like my dad, as he was nearing death, I went to the hospital in Austin, Texas. And as I walked into the room, there's a big old smile on my dad's face, and I assumed that the smile was because I was there from Indiana. But he wasn't. I said, son, did you see that nurse that just walked out of the room? Yeah. What about her? Son, I just got to share the gospel with her, and Jesus changed lives. The last thing on his focus was, son, share the gospel. Share the gospel because it changes lives. It glorifies Christ. And Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, 13, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Living for Jesus, shining for Jesus is worth the sacrifice. Shining for Jesus is an opportunity to change all of history, all of eternity. How does God want you to respond today? four ways. There's never been a time in your life where you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus and let him give you forgiveness and eternal life. You can now, today. If you need more information, see us at the information booth. We'd love to talk with you, have coffee with you to tell you more about our Jesus. Believe. If you're already a believer, Jesus challenges us to witness to tell others about Jesus. But remember, the world doesn't just want to be told. The world wants to be shown. Wear your jersey, folks. Let them see an exemplary life that Jesus has changed. And when life gets tough as a believer, when there are those who may not like you, who may say unkind things about you, and it's hard to be a Christian, persevere like Stephen did. Stand courageously. Stand calmly believing in the promises of God. And lastly, fourth way, glorify Jesus this week. Let him shine in your life. Do not whine, but shine. We're going to ask you to bow your heads now for a time of prayer. As we prepare our hearts to get ready for the Lord's table, first we want to ask ourselves, how does God want me to respond? Do I need to place my faith in Christ right now? Do I need to pray about someone I need to go and witness to? Do I just need to hear the sweet, sweet words of Jesus resonating in my spirit saying, persevere, dear one, I'm with you, I got you. Or do I need to focus on how am I going to glorify Jesus this week? How are people going to see that he's changed my life? Just a moment. I'll come and close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here today. You're faithful to your word. You're speaking to us, telling us that we can experience 
these great things in you changing our lives. Lord, I pray for that one that's here today that's not sure if there's ever been a time where they've believed, where they've committed their life to Christ. May this be their day. Pray for the believer, Lord, who's struggling. Help them to be a faithful witness in the midst of their struggling, to wear the jersey. Lord, help us as believers to persevere in tough times. Whereas in this season, that people will be especially alert to watch, to see if there's Jesus in us. And Lord, help us glorify you. Not to be a bunch of people that known for where we whine at work or out there in public, but we will be known as a city view people who shine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's the